<laughs> a little ting ting. Can we just give our worship team a big God bless you? They're faithful every week. They do a great job. And Luke 24, if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Luke 24. I want to share today about divine intervention. How many of you need divine intervention in your life? You're facing something. You're going through something in your life. Just wave at me. You're facing something, going through. You say, Lord, I need divine intervention this morning. I need divine word, divine wisdom. I'm sure that we all do. You know, there's seasons, there's seasons where we become more aware of our need of divine intervention. But we need divine intervention every day. We need His wisdom every day. I believe the Lord today wants to open your eyes to the realities of what He's working around you. You know, you, we don't always see at first glance. We don't always see what's happening right in front of our face. And today we pick up a story about the, the two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus after the, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection. And they couldn't see what was happening right in front of their face. They couldn't see what, what God was working in their life all around them. You see, these, these two men, well, let's read it. Now behold, verse 13, it says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of com uh, conversation is this that you have with one another, as you are so sad? Then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which have happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and a certain woman, certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early, they astonished us. And when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who had said, He's alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he, Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all through the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village, and they were going where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone on further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass that he sat at the table with them, and he took bread, and he blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scripture to us? 
So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the finding, the things that had happened on the road. And he was known to them in the breaking of bread. I want you just to picture the, this moment with me this morning. Here, these we have. We know that there's Cleopas. We know that he is there. He's mentioned by name. We don't know who the other disciple is. There's a lot of speculation on who these two people are, but regardless, they've just been witnesses to the crucifixion. They've. We we know that Cleopas was one of the seventy. He was one of the disciples of Jesus. And he had been a part of all that had just transpired. They had just seen the triumphant entry. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were a part of the great procession. They had seen Jesus go into the temple and overthrow the, the money changer's table. They had watched as Jesus had been brutally murdered. And they had, they had now heard reports that were going throughout the city about Jesus being resurrected. This was, they weren't sure what was happening. The person that they thought, the person who they suspected was going to overthrow the, the Roman rule was now not only dead, but his body was missing. There was a lot of emotion going on. There was a lot of uncertainty that was happening in their life. You could imagine maybe you've been in a time or a season where sadness filled your heart. You felt overwhelmed by the way that things were going on in your life. Maybe you're here this morning and life has got you overwhelmed. You find yourself entirely overwhelmed with your circumstance, your situation. Hey, these men, these disciples on their way to Emmaus knew exactly how you're feeling. This was about a two-hour journey maybe closer to a three-hour journey, that they were on their way to Emmaus. Emmaus means the springs of living water. They were leaving Jerusalem, headed to a town known for the springs of salvation. But they were sad. They were discouraged. Life had gotten them down. And the Bible says that while they were walking along the road, everybody say, as they were walking, they were on their way out of town. They were running from what was transpiring around them. Jesus had resurrected, and instead of trying to figure out, I don't know about you, but if I had, Jesus had told me that he was going to resurrect after three days, and reports of his resurrection were spreading throughout, everybody look this way, and the report of his resurrection was spreading throughout town, guess where I'd be? I don't think I'd be heading out of town. I'd want to find the report of what's really going on. I'd want to get to the bottom. Is Jesus really resurrected? Is Jesus really resurrected? Is this really what's happening? Is what Jesus promised really happening in front of our very eyes? It's funny because they said, when, once they started the conversation with Jesus, their response was, oh, the women went out. They, you know, <laughs> what do they know? You know, that's kind of what was implied by what they said. You know, what do they know? They didn't, they didn't see it, so some of the men had to go figure it out too. So Peter and John went out, and, and they saw the same thing, but we just don't know. We don't, we're not real sure. Isn't it good to know that Jesus, out of all the places he could have shown up, out of all the people he could have revealed himself to, 
he shows up with two guys who are absolutely discouraged in their faith. When you feel like nobody understands, everybody's left me, nobody gets it, Jesus shows up in the lowest place. He always does. When you feel like nobody understands and nobody gets it, Jesus Where does he show up the first time? Whose eyes does he first open? It's these two guys who are absolutely discouraged in their faith. The first people who had their eyes open to the reality of who Jesus was. You could say the first really converts here are these two guys on their road to Emmaus. Peter and John were all in. Mary and the women, they were all in. They were devoted. They were committed these two guys were still, they were still seeking. They were still trying to figure it out. They were on their way. And the Bible says that Jesus came up to them. Mark and Luke give us two different accounts. Mark says that when Jesus appeared to them, he appeared to them in a different form. Luke says that he restrained their eyes. So my question for you today is, is what do you do when Jesus shows up in a way that you didn't expect. Or he shows up in a way that you can't really see because he's trying to deal with the issues of your heart and not what you can see. See, these men, they were on their way to Emmaus, but Jesus shows up in the middle of their walk, in the middle of their journey, in a way they didn't expect. Oftentimes, We want Jesus to repeat everything that he just did. Jesus, can we go back to the triumphant entry moment? Jesus, can we go back to that moment where you met me in such a powerful way? I'm sad. I'm depressed. I'm discouraged. I need a breakthrough, Jesus. I need divine intervention, Jesus. Can you just go? Can we do this again like you did with blind Bartimaeus? Can we just hit repeat on that moment? How about the woman with the issue of blood? I need one of those moments where I can just kind of grab in. Can we just repeat that? And Jesus shows up oftentimes in those moments in a way that we just don't expect. And if we're not careful, we'll miss him in the moment because we wanted him to do what he did two weeks ago or a year ago. We want, we want to go back to the good old days. And Jesus is saying, I'm doing something new and fresh in this moment. I'm do, I want to work in your life in a new way in this moment. It's going to look different. It's going to look different than what it did before. And that's okay. And we have to learn how to embrace Jesus in those moments where he looks different. Maybe this morning, part of looking different is that you have a religious idea of what Jesus looks like. These men had a religious idea of what Jesus looked like. You might have a religious idea of what Jesus looks like. What do, you, what do I mean by that? I mean that somebody's told you what Jesus ought to look like, and it might not be the Jesus of the Bible. Somebody's told you how to, how to access Jesus, but it's not Jesus of the Bible. Somebody's told you about who Jesus is, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's a Jesus of a church or a Jesus of religion. You know, my, my, uh, Heather mentioned this, uh, you know, this idea of Jesus on the cross, you know, the Catholic crucifix. And that's what, that's the idea that we have. That's the religious idea of Jesus, that he's, he's hanging on a crucifix. I got news for you, friend. Jesus is not hanging on a crucifix. He's seated on a throne, ruling and reigning all things. 
The Father has given him absolute preeminent dominion over all things. He's seated on the throne, interceding for you and I and pouring out his spirit on you and I. That's what he's doing. He's not hanging on a cross. He's victorious. So you might have a religious idea this morning of who Jesus is, and he wants to show up in your life today in a way that you don't expect. He's here. He's walked in the doors. When you walked in the front doors this morning, he walked in with you. You say, no, I had my kids. I had my husband. I had my wife. I had this. I had that. I don't know. I didn't see Jesus walk in. That's because he's showing up in a way you're not expecting. He's, he walked in the front doors with you this morning. And I promise he's going to walk home with you today. He's going to go with you to work tomorrow, school tomorrow. He's going to be with you. And if you're not careful, you'll miss the hour of your visitation. So he shows up in a different way. And then sometimes he has to restrain our physical eyes in order to deal with our spiritual eyes. Sometimes we can't see him with our natural eyes because he's restrained our vision in order that we can see him for who he really is from our heart. Remember Abraham, you know, he thought he was just seeing an angel, but it was the Lord who showed up to him. The Lord showed up to him and told him about a promise that he was going to fulfill in his life, that he was going to have a baby Remember, Jacob wrestled with the Lord. He, didn't, he had no clue who he was wrestling with, but he, he was determined to win the, win the wrestling match. He was determined. He was determined. The deceiver, the great deceiver was determined. He was going to win the wrestling match. And, and, and Jesus said to him, What is your name? And he didn't want to tell him. And he asked him again, what is your name? And he reached out and he touched his hip. And he had no idea who he was wrestling with in the moment until he started walking with a limp for the rest of his life. God wants to show himself to you in a different way. Sometimes he's got to turn off your natural vision. You can't always see with your natural eyes and understand. Maybe you're in a situation this morning and you feel like, you can't see through the veil. It's like there's a cloud or a fog, and, and you just can't see what you need to do. What's the next step? How, do I, how, do I, how am I going to be successful in this? How am I going to see breakthrough in this? I've tried everything I can try. I've done everything I can do. We've, we've, we've served, you know, like these men, we've served the Lord. We followed him all these years, and now he's, his body's missing. He's buried, but he's not buried. And what are we supposed to do right now? Jesus shows up in those moments and he begins to deal with the issues of our heart. So what was it that Jesus was wanting to deal with with these men? Why did he show up the way that he did? Well, first, they, had, they were expecting Jesus to show up in a different way. The Bible says that, that they were looking for a ruler. They were, if you, if you read here, um, when they begin to explain to Jesus what's going on, they were looking for someone to overthrow the Roman rule. They wanted Jesus to show up as a king, as a conqueror, and that's not who Jesus came to be. He came to die and offer himself as a sacrifice for many. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. Are you out there this morning? He didn't come to be the one overthrowing. There's coming a day, friend, he's going to overthrow every, every earthly kingdom. 
There's going to be a day where every earthly kingdom will bow before him. There's coming a day where every ruler will bow before him. But that wasn't the day. That wasn't the time. And they were looking for that. That's what they wanted Jesus to do. He showed up in a way that was different than what they expected. They didn't see him, first off, as the Messiah. They saw him as a prophet. In verse 19, it says that he was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God. They never saw him as the Messiah. And all of the miracles, all the signs, all the wonders, they watched him minister. They heard him preach. They even, they even attested to his ministry as being mighty before God. I need a little bit more monitor. They were, they were might, they, his ministry was mighty before God, mighty before men. That they, they heard him preach. They heard his, his ministry. They saw him lay hands on the sick. You're here this morning and you've seen his ministry. You've seen his miracles. You've seen his power at work. But still, you may not know him as your Messiah. You still may not know him as the anointed one. Jesus. Walking, just walking along the road. And Jesus walks up beside them. And he invites them. He invites them. So, so tell me what was going on. Tell me what was going on. As if Jesus didn't know what had happened. As if Jesus had no clue that he hadn't been crucified and brutally beaten and murdered. As if Jesus didn't know that he had been buried in a tomb and had resurrected. He knew exactly what had happened. He knew exactly what was going on, and he invited them for a conversation. He invited them to have a conversation on the journey because he wanted to reveal what was in their own heart. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, and they began to share what was in their heart, the sadness, the sorrow, the mourning that was in their heart. And the very first thing that they say is that he was a great prophet. I wonder what happened in that moment. I mean, Jesus... I mean, I'm just being human right now, and Jesus... But here's, here's Jesus, the Son of God, who's gone through all of this. He spent all of the time with them, teaching them, ministering with them, all of the things. And the first thing that his disciples, these two disciples, tell him, oh, he was a great prophet. I, I would want to have one of those moments that Jesus... My, my tendency would be they need some five-fold ministry. They still, how long is it going to take? And believe me, I have those moments as a pastor, so I can only imagine what the Son of God must have dealt with. How long do I have to be with you? How many times do I have to tell you? How many times do I have to repeat this? How many times do I have to say this before you're going to get it? Anybody out there this morning? I mean... Don't look so spiritual, because you, you're probably one of those I've probably said that about. How long? <clears throat> How long is it going to take for you to get this? 
How long is it gonna how long is it gonna get how many times? And their first response is, Oh, he's a great prophet. I'm the son of God. I was just murdered for you. I just went through the cross for you. And all you can see is, is what I said and what I did. And you have no realization about eternity and a heavenly kingdom. So don't feel bad if you feel like you're surrounded by people who just don't get it. Jesus was the Son of God, and he was surrounded by people who just didn't get it. It took time and time and time again. Their heart needed a revelation. They needed a revelation of who Jesus really was. That he, he wasn't just a prophet. He was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. Of course, they had other agendas. They wanted Jesus to overthrow the Roman rule. They were astonished. The Bible says, number three, they were astonished. astonished. In verse 22, it says, Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb... In the early, they astonished us. Jesus had to deal with the issue of their astonishment. The word there, astonished, is not like some like awe oh, oh, and wonder astonishment. The word that's used there for astonishment is that they were driven mad. When, when, they, when the testimony of Mary Magdalene and Mary, uh, uh, the mother of James and Salome, and uh, when all of them, they all these women come back with, uh, you know, hey, we went out to the tomb to bring our spices. We went out to, to anoint the body of Jesus with myrrh and frankincense and, and, to pre and, and cover him for burial. He wasn't there. He had risen. And not only was he not there, he had risen. But we had angels that showed up and said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's risen. Don't you get it? Jesus is risen. And their testimony, the testimony of these women, drove them mad. It perplexed them. They were upset by this. That How could Jesus, that how could this man, how could they do this? You know, the immediate thought is, how could the Romans do this? They crucified him. And because they didn't want an uprising, they've, they've stolen his body. That was the idea. That was the prevailing thought of the Jewish people that, that, that somehow they were going to steal his body. So they've stolen his body. They've, they've take, they must have taken him somewhere. They've hidden his body somewhere because they don't want an uprising. And they're worried about this. This man that we followed and gave our lives for. They were literally driven to a place of anger and being upset and enraged by the testimony, the very thing that Jesus said was going to happen. Have you ever been on that journey? Where you were walking that journey, you were walking that path where you thought that Jesus was going to show up one way, he was going to solve the problem, and all along... All along, just as you thought, gee, you're going to do it X, Y, Z way. God, you're going you're gonna to meet my family. You're going to set them free. You're going to do it this way. You're going to work in my, in my marriage and my family in this way. And you have it all mapped out. You have it all planned out. And all the while, Jesus has been saying, no, I'm going to, no, this is how I'm going to do this. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be beaten, I'm going to be murdered, and then I'm going to resurrect on the third day. How many times did he tell them, I'm going to be murdered, and I'm going to be resurrected on the third day? How many times did he lay the plan out for them, and they didn't hear it? They didn't hear it. It was, it was absolutely impossible in the natural sense for them <clears throat> to try to assimilate this information that Jesus was giving them into who they were. They heard it. They understood in their mind, oh, yeah, 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 you're, you're the Messiah, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the guy who's going to die, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it never changed their heart. You can sit in church day after day, week after week, and hear and hear and hear and hear and have mental, yeah, 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 that's good. Good job, pastor. Good, good sermon, pastor. And leave, and it never change your heart. You're here this morning, and you can hear the Word of God, hear the Word of God, hear it, hear it, hear it, and never be changed by it, never affect your heart, never allow it to come in and change who you are. That's what was happening to these guys. They had been following Jesus, following His ministry. Heard it, seen it, had the t-shirt, got the bumper sticker, the pen, had the social media frame, all of the things. But it never changed their heart. Never changed their heart. This morning, does the testimony of Jesus drive you crazy? Because that's really what happened, is it was the testimony of Jesus. These women came back with the testimony. See, one of two things happened in this moment. I'm going to step on some people's toes, and that's okay. You probably need to have them stepped on. <coughs> two things happened. One is they, they were offended by the testimony of Jesus. And secondly, they didn't want women to have the testimony. So what do you do with the testimony of Jesus? Does it offend you? Does it offend you when Jesus tells you to live a holy life? Does it offend you when Jesus says rejoice in all things, give thanks in all things? Does it offend you when Jesus says to be a, a, a workman not ashamed of the word of God, to dig in, to dive into the word, to love his word, to eat his word? Does that offend you? Does it offend you when Jesus says, I want you to stop living like this or doing this or whatever conviction that he's dealing with in the moment? Does it offend you when he says you have to abide in me? Come on, it's, man, it's quiet in here. And I don't know if you, maybe you feel the flames of hells just around your feet. I don't know what it is. But whatever the case is, does the testimony of Jesus offend you? The testimony offended them. It drove them crazy. They didn't like it. They didn't want to hear that. This was our conquering king. Why is he dead? And they didn't like the messengers. God will use the ravens to feed you. God will use the unlikely source to take care of you. God will use the widows. He'll use, he'll use unlikely sources to care for you. He'll use the little, the little boy with just a few loaves and fish. He'll always use the insignificant things that you think. Things that you think are below you. Things that you think are just unwise and foolish. 
He said, I'll use the foolish things. I'll use the foolish things to abase the wise. He'll use the things that absolutely drive you crazy. The little things that pastor says from the, from the preaching, the pulpit. I don't know why pastor said that. That made me so mad. Pick on Pastor Grace. I don't know why pastor said I should be playing and doing something right now. Makes me so mad. I can't believe. Can't believe it. Why did he do that? He just embarrassed me in front of everybody. I can't believe it. But it's the very thing. I'm sorry, I'm picking on you. It's the very thing. It's the very thing that God uses the foolish things to deal with the wickedness in our own heart. To expose. So when someone rubs you the wrong way and you get irritated, man, you get fired up. Why'd they say that? I'm going to tell them what for. Well, maybe instead of telling them what for, you need to back up that train a little bit and say, Jesus is walking here with me today and he's trying to do something in my heart. I don't really see it real clear right now, but I know enough he's dealing with an issue of my heart. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it's really not about me. Or it's not really about the person that offended you or rubbed you the wrong way. It's really about the issue in your own heart. And Jesus is trying to deal with the issue of your heart. So they, wa- they were walking on a three hour. Aren't you glad that services, are, I don't preach for three hours? So they didn't believe him to be the Messiah. They had their own agendas. They were astonished by the women's testimony. They were driven insane. Jesus had to deal with that. And for, for three hours, three hours, he expounded to them the scriptures. Before he begins to open up the scriptures, though, I love his response in, in verse 25. He says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. That word in the Greek, the slow of heart, it means dull of heart. To have a dull heart. To have a dull heart. Your, your heart can become dull to the things of the Lord. We're actually admonished time and time again, Paul, and you know, to fan into the flame, to guard our hearts. All of, all of the uh, things we're supposed to keep watch over our hearts, we're supposed to live in self-control. Uh, walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. All of these scriptures are talking about keeping our hearts in the right place. Why is that so important? Because when your heart is off, your behaviors are off. When, you're, when you don't align, when your heart doesn't align and your identity doesn't align, your behaviors won't align. And you become dull of heart. What Jesus said to the church of Laodicea, what did he say? You've grown lukewarm. You've lost your first love. You've grown lukewarm. I would that you were hot or cold, but don't, don't be lukewarm. Our hearts become dull. What's the, how do things become dull? If you were to have something sharp, it was once sharp or uh, fully inflamed, and it was burning bright, fully lit or very sharp. We use the term dull to describe that the light has dimmed or the sharpness has, has dulled down. It's no longer able to cut. It's no longer able to pierce through something. It's dulled. And so when your light has dulled, when your spiritual light has dulled, it means you've been hidden under a bush somewhere. 
What did Jesus say? We're not, we're not a, uh, you're, you're a light on the, on the hill. You're not a candle under a bush. And so what happens is we begin to hide. We run and hide when things don't go our way. When things look different. When Jesus doesn't show up the way we thought he does, we go and instead of dealing with it, facing it head on, we run and hide and put a basket over our heads. And our light dims because we're too busy hiding out, afraid of what might happen. And the next thing you know, instead of just being afraid, we're hightailing it out of town when Jesus needs us to stay put. It's the progress. Life happens. Fear comes in. And we go and we put the basket over our head instead of living fearlessly, courageously, and saying no matter what's going on, this is the testimony of Jesus. I don't know what exactly what's going on. His body ain't there. He talked about resurrecting. But I'm not running from this. I'm going to find out what's going on and get right in the middle of it. That was their response. Once they had the revelation of who Jesus was, what did they do? The very first thing they did was run back to the eleven, run back to the women, and say, everything they said is true. We've seen him for ourselves. Right? But when we're living in fear, we hide under the basket, and we tuck tail and run when Jesus is trying to do something supernatural in our lives. Don't hide your light. Let it shine. Don't allow your light to become dim and dull from fear and the worries and the cares of this life. Am I preaching into anybody out there? I feel like I'm preaching a lot better than you're shouting this morning. <clears throat> if you're offended, that's okay. I'm going to keep going. And then not only does your light dim, so, so there's the, the sense of, your, of light dimming and becoming dull, but then your sharpness... The ability to pierce the sharpness. Your, your sword is becoming dull in your life. Your, the sword of your life is becoming dull. The knife of your life is dulling. How do you keep it sharp? How do you keep the light lit? You've got to stir the flame. You've got to keep sharpening. Irons, our iron sharpens iron. So there's one man sharpening another. The very thing that you want to do in fearful worrisome situations is run you try to isolate am i talking to anybody this morning you try to isolate i don't want to be around anybody i don't want them to know what i'm facing i don't want them to know what i'm going through these guys were sad they were mourning they were grieving and all they wanted to do was be by themselves and get out of town and that wasn't the thing that they needed When you want to isolate, it's the very time that you need to be around somebody. You need to be sharpened. Anytime, you're, anytime you feel yourself demanding that you have to be by yourself because of all the emotions and all the things you're going through, that's a great indicator that your body, your mind, your emotions are resisting the very thing that God intended you to have in that moment. You need people in your life who are going to sharpen you and say, no, you're not running out of town. No, you're staying put for the long haul. Jesus is doing something right now. Jesus is doing something right now. We're not leaving. We're not getting up and leaving. We got to stay, we got to stay put. We got to stay connected. We got to stay together. 
And that's exactly what they did. Once they had the revelation, that's what they did. So instead of getting upset and running, allow God to begin to deal with the dullness of your heart. Lord, keep our hearts living. Keep our our hearts fully alive. Keep our hearts. Take stewardship over your heart. How do you know if your heart's growing dull? I'm so glad you asked. That's a great question. How do you know if your heart is growing dull? Well, the things of the Lord no longer excite you. Number one way, number one way, the things of Jesus don't excite you anymore. When people talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, you're like, oh, I've heard that before. When people talk about giving, yeah, I've heard that too. It's worship. Are they singing my song today? Because if they're not singing my song, I don't want to I don't want to sing. We need to go, you need what? Youth ministry workers? Ha! No way. Those kids, no. Not working with them. I have the opportunity to stand at the door and smile. I ain't smiling. I don't smile. Right? That's a great indicator that your heart has grown dull. If you see any of those kinds of people here this morning, make sure you bring them to the altar. Their heart's grown dull. Heart's grown dull. How else do you know your heart's grown dull? You don't pray like you prayed before. Your prayer life has grown dull. If the things of the Lord don't excite you and prayer doesn't excite you, man, those are the top two things. Something's off. When we say, hey, we have pre-service prayer at 9.30, or I stand up here and say, hey, let's pray together. You're like, man, didn't we just do this? We just prayed. We just prayed. Hey, listen, Revelation, prayer is never ceasing, and all things pray. Pray is an ongoing communication with the Father. It doesn't stop. So, so if you have this idea that we, you, you come in here, we pray for 30 seconds, and then we move on, and that prayer somehow stopped, that's not prayer. You rub the genie's lamp. That's all you did. That's not prayer. Prayer is a communication. It's a conversation with with the Lord, and it's ongoing. It doesn't stop. So it doesn't stop and start when pastor says, let's pray or not. Oh, my goodness. That's a great way to know that your heart is dull. Dull, right? I'm not trying to make you mad. I'm trying to help you. If it makes you mad, then good. But it might, you might need to be, I mean, these guys, these poor guys. For three hours. Let's see here. Where are we at? I have another two and a half hours. <coughs> For three hours, Jesus expounded, expounded. Jesus ex- expounded. Every once in a while, I still have that southern thing come up. Jesus expounded from Moses all the way to the prophets giving them insight, giving them revelation about who he was. Laying the foundation for what was to come. He had to deal with the issue of their heart. He had to deal with the dullness of the heart. Another way to know if you're dull of heart is what example are you setting? What's the lifestyle that you're living? One of the easiest ways, and, and you know, it's, <laughs> it's not always recognizable in the moment. It's not always recognizable in the moment because our pride, I'm going to explain where I'm going before I get there. 
this, this third one I'm going to give you is not always easy, easily recognizable in the moment because we have this wonderful thing called pride. And pride can keep us from seeing, just like these men, they weren't able to see, pride can keep us from seeing in the moment. But one of the ways to know if your heart's dull is by the behaviors of your life. Do you live in such a way that says you're passionate about the Lord? Do you live, when people look at your life, do they say, oh, you're passionate about God? Or do they look at you and say, man, I really don't want to be around that person. I really don't like being around them. They're just cranky, crusty, bitter. There's just no fun to be around. I'm just telling you the truth this morning. Come on now. I don't really like being, how do, and, and the problem is, like I said, we have pride, and we don't always hear, we don't always see our own shortcomings and our behaviors, but if people around you start telling you things like, you know, you're really challenging to be around, or all of a sudden you start seeing people disappear out of your life, they don't want to be around you any longer. Right? I'm just trying to help you, or... You know, it's just an indicator that your heart has dulled. Because when you're inflamed with the love of God, you love people. You know, I'm not a people person, but I love people. I have compassion for people. I'm, I'm an introvert, but I have compassion for people. But when you lose that compassion, you get rough. Right? Everybody, you're just cynical of everybody. And they're just, you know, everybody's done you wrong. They're all out to get you. Y'all know people like this. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you're like this. And hey, listen, you're in the right place. Jesus came in the door with you. Remember, he's walking with you. And he's dealing with the dullness of your heart. He's dealing with the dullness of your heart. Get, a, get an image of Jesus this morning and let him inflame your heart again. Let him show you who he is. So how did Jesus reveal himself? Number one, he spent almost three hours opening scriptures for them. What would it be like to walk with Jesus for three hours where he just, from Moses to the prophets, told you? I mean, we have the, we have the word of God. I understand that. I'm not, I'm, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We have the word of God. But to walk with him, like next arm in arm, next to each other for three hours, let me show you who I am from Moses all the way to the prophets. You know, he may not be able, you know, he may not be, he is able, but he may not physically manifest himself to you and walk with you to work tomorrow and spend three hours driving down the road with you or wherever you may go telling you from Moses to the prophets about who he is. But I promise you, that if you'll take the time and just acknowledge that he's with you, instead of getting in the car and flipping on Fox News or whatever, instead of getting on the car and whatever, or waking up in the morning, what's Facebook got to tell me today? Or reading your morning horoscopes or whatever it is that you do, right? Whatever it is that you do to get your day started, right? Just tune in. Jesus, you're walking with me today. Can you show me who you really are? Can you show me who you are today? Reveal yourself to me again. 
And just listen. Let him talk to you about who he is. Let him talk to you about his mercy. Let him talk to you about his forgiveness. Let him talk to you about his joy. <coughs> Let him talk to you about his character. And just spend the time with him. What I love about this, Jesus, <laughs> out of all the people and out of all the things he could have done, I mean, he could have went right to, to Caesar himself. I mean, out of all the things that Jesus could have done, he finds these two guys who are absolutely down and out and sad and mourning, who have been absolutely irritated at the testimony of the women about the resurrection, all the things, and he comes to them and he reveals himself to him. He doesn't restart his healing ministry. He doesn't start going out and healing the sick. He doesn't start going out raising the dead. He doesn't go out and start preaching. He doesn't hold open-air crusades. He's not breaking bread and serving the fish anymore. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't find blind Bartimaeus. He's not doing any of that. But what he does do is he reveals himself to these different people over the next, uh, over the next few days. He begins to reveal himself and show himself and prepare for his ascension. There's a transition that's happening, and he's preparing his disciples to go out and what they've received to go and minister to others. To take what they've watched and what they've heard from Jesus and take it out and begin to minister to other people. You see, there was something that these, we don't see them again in in. The Bible, there's, there's no other reference to these disciples. But there was something that they needed to fulfill in their ministry. They needed to receive something from the Lord in order to be able to give out and minister to the others. There was a revelation that they needed to have in order that they might go back to the eleven. And say, he really is risen. We've seen him. He walked with us along the road. We've seen him. And our hearts were burning on the inside of us. We've seen him. We've seen him for ourselves. You see, there are people around you that need to hear the testimony that Jesus is alive. There's people around you that need to hear the testimony of the salvation work of Jesus. There's people around you that are hurting, that are broken. Another way to know if your heart is dull, if evangelism does not excite you. Telling you a story about how Jesus is resurrected, if that doesn't excite you, then you're missing something. Something's off in your heart. But Jesus, hello? I think we need to pray for an inflamed heart today. I see that coming in the near future. There's a testimony that people needed. There's a testimony that people needed to hear from them and they couldn't give it until they had a revelation of who Jesus was for themselves. Perhaps the problem today for some is that you have no revelation of who Jesus is for yourself. Perhaps you've heard other people talk about Jesus. You've heard a preacher preach about Jesus. You've sang songs about Jesus. But he's never shown up on your journey himself. You've never seen him for yourself in your journey. Oh, you can hear all the great things and hear all the right stuff and 
see all the wonderful ministry, but it's Jesus. Have you seen him? Have you had a revelation of him for yourself? Tell me the time. I'm asking rhetorically. Please don't shout it out at me. <laughs> Tell me the time where Jesus showed up on your road of Emmaus. Tell me the time where you were depressed or discouraged or fearful. You were worried and anxiety or whatever, filled with sin and depravity. Tell me the time where Jesus walked in to your road of Emmaus. You couldn't see him for who he really was. Your eyes were restricted from seeing him. Your heart had its own agenda, its own idea about who he was. And Jesus began to reveal himself bit by bit, layer by layer, scripture upon scripture, precept upon precept began to tell you of who he was. And your eyes began to open little by little. You began to see him in all of his majesty. Your heart began to burn little by little. Your heart began to burn again, became passionate again for him. When did Jesus show up on your road to Emmaus? Was it 50 years ago? Was it yesterday? Was it this morning? Has Jesus shown up on your Emmaus road? So how do you respond? What do we do with this? Well, what did they do? Jesus sat down with them and, and had koinonia. He had partnership. He had fellowship with them. He broke bread with them. It was, a, it was the communion, Eucharisteo, the, the communion element. He revealed himself. He's still revealing himself through communion, through the Lord's Supper. He's still doing that today. Notice he didn't have the full, he didn't eat, he didn't participate. He broke the bread, gave it to them, and their eyes were open and he was gone. And immediately they go back and they begin to tell everyone, this is what we've seen. Jesus extends to you today an invitation to go on a journey with him. Jesus extends to you today an invitation to go on a journey with him. You thought you were walking to Emmaus. You thought you were on your own path. But Jesus invited you on his. Jesus was on that road that day. Jesus was on that path today. It was, it's not just about you. Jesus saw to it that you were here this morning. Jesus saw to it that you were in the place that you are today. Jesus has arranged the order and the details of your life to see you right where you are today. He has a divine appointment for your life. He's, brought, he's extended to you an invitation to join Him. The Bible says that He was... I'll wrap this up, but I, I, I like worship team. Y'all can come back. But even Jesus, when, he, when they got to Emmaus, <clears throat> when they got to Emmaus, Jesus implied that He was going to keep on going. Do you remember other times in Scripture when he did that? There's quite a few, actually, where he, remember, Peter out on the water in the Sea of Galilee. The storm was, was brewing. The wind was beating against the boat. And Jesus, Peter said, if it's you, call to me. Remember that? The Bible says in that description that he was going to pass them by. But somebody had to cry out. Someone had to call out and say, Jesus, that's Jesus. That's not a ghost, that's Jesus. And it's the same is true in this story. He intended to pass them by. The intention was that Jesus wanted to know, did they really desire him? Did they really get it? Were the dots starting to connect? 
You see, the, te- the spending the two hours, three hours with them on the journey, he was teaching them line upon line. The heart was becoming awakened to who he was. They said, did our hearts not burn within us on that walk? Their hearts were beginning to be awakened to who he was. The reality of who he was. There was a hunger beginning to stir in their hearts. And Jesus was calling out. It was very intentional. He was calling out the hunger in their hearts. Jesus is here today. Jesus is walking with you. And he'll keep on walking right by you if you let him. He'll just he'll move right on to the next person who's hungry. He'll, he'll move right on to the next person who's desperate for him. But if you'll say, Jesus, don't go anywhere. Don't leave. Just stay with us. Stay with me. He'll stop and he'll take time. And they had coin and eat. They had partnership together. And he broke bread and served them the bread. It's a reminder of who he was. That one act, that one demonstration of breaking the bread made everything that he had just told them for three hours click. They had heard it. They were connecting the dots. But in one moment, one physical act of breaking the bread, everything clicked. See, there's a, there's a process. We have to have a foundation of the word and understanding of who he is. But we also have to have an experience. You could tell me all the day long about salvation and the mercy of God and the goodness of God. But it's not until I experience his goodness that I see how good he is. It's not until I experience, that's why Paul said repeatedly, and he used intentional words in the Greek, that I want you to know by experience, not just head knowledge, but I want you to know by experience the, the love, the depths of God's love and who he is. You can have knowledge all day long, but until it becomes your experience... It's when it's experienced that everything comes together. The word that he told you and the spirit in the moment, the experience with God. So he's extended to you an invitation. And if you're willing to listen and go on the journey with Jesus, he'll share with you the insight of who he is. And you'll have a revelation of who he is. He'll open just as he restricted your eyes, he'll open your eyes. Just as he dimmed your eyes so that you couldn't see for a moment, so that he could deal with the issues of your heart, he'll open them in a split second and you'll see that's, that's what this is all about. That's what this is all about. We live in a culture today, I'm going to wrap up, why don't you all stand? I want you to understand something. We live in a culture. We live in a culture that will tell you how good you are and you should feel good about you. In church, in church, we want you to feel good about yourself. We want you to, how good you are, how wonderful you are. And listen, you are divinely created. So I'm not going to argue with that. You are divinely created. You are God's workmanship.
but I want you to beat upon the Word of God. I want you to wrestle with the Word of God. I want you to find yourself on that journey just like they did on, on the Emmaus Road. Who are you? Who are you really, Jesus? Are you the guy just buried in the tomb? Who are you really? And they wrestle with, for three hours, willing to wrestle with, wrestle with the Word, wrestle with Jesus. Who are you? Who does He say He is? Don't just take my word for it. I want you to, to wrestle with the Word of God, to wrestle. It's better for you to wrestle with your salvation in this life than to find out in the next that you weren't. So I'd rather you wrestle. You say, well, pastor, is it okay if I come to the altar every time I come to church to be born again? Hey, at some point it's got to click, but I'd rather you wrestle it out every Sunday. I'd, I'd rather you wrestle it out every Sunday than to find out on Monday after the resurrection of the dead that you missed it. Obviously, there's a place for discipleship. That's not what I'm saying. Obviously, there's a place for that. But you need to, and that's part of it. Figure out what is God doing and saying in your life? What is He working in you? And then lastly, who has He called you to be? Who has He called you to be? Just don't take my word for it. Don't just fill out a serve team application and turn it in. This is who I'm called to be. No, that's what you've been called to do. You're going to do something. Who has Jesus called you to be? These men had transformed lives in just a matter of a couple hours. Their whole world changed. They thought they were following a conqueror and it was about overthrow the Romans. Jesus changed all of that for them. <clears throat> Why do you come to church? Don't answer that. Just think about it. Why do you come to church? Because you, you can give me all sorts of answers, right? You can give me all sorts of answers why you come to church. It's the right thing to do. But is it flowing out of who you're called to be? Is it a part of who you are? Because if it's not, like these two men, when the pressure comes, we won't see you. Don't shout me down, I'm telling you the truth. We won't see you when the pressure comes. When hell and high water come, we won't see you. Why? Because you haven't found out who God is in you and who he's making you to be you got to wrestle these things out. These men had a lot of things they had to wrestle. This story, I mean, I can go on and on. There's so much in this road to Emmaus. Divine intervention in your life today to see God for who He really is. Divine intervention in your life. If your heart's grown dull today, it's time for the light to burn bright. Amen. If your heart's grown dull today, it's, it's time. It's time for your heart to burn bright. Jesus, I thank you for your word. 
Jesus, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that today, I pray today, Lord, just like on the road to Emmaus, you just, you showed up in an unexpected, unprecedented way to these disciples. Lord, I pray that you'd take us by surprise today. Lord, let us see you again. Lord, may we not have a dull heart. Lord, may we not have other agendas. Lord, we'll see you as our Messiah. We'll see you as the Son of God. Lord, our hearts will be passionate for you. Jesus, I thank you that you're walking today with those who are sad or discouraged. They find themselves in a hard place that you're walking with them to encourage them, to build them up in their faith. Thank you, Lord. 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 You know, just right where you're standing, maybe you need to ask the Lord to stir your heart again. Maybe right where you're at, Lord, stir my heart. Lord, let the light, let the light burn bright in me again. Maybe you have other agendas. The Lord's been dealing with your other agendas. Maybe it's selfish, self-centered agendas, and the Lord's dealing with that. Right where you're at, come on, talk to the Lord, right where you are. Just respond to his word this morning. Right where you're at, respond to his word, respond to his voice. Lord, stir my heart again. Lord, deal with our agendas that are not of you, our ideas. Come on, let the Lord deal with you right where you're at. Come on, don't tune out his voice. Respond to him right where you are. Just in a personal place of prayer, right where you are. Respond to his voice. Lord, we respond. We respond to you. We respond to you. We respond to you. We respond to you. Jesus, we respond to you this morning. We're in a place of personal prayer, a place of personal repentance. Right as, right as we stand here today in our own place, our own seat, Lord, we respond to you. We respond to your voice. Lord, stir our hearts. Stir our hearts, Lord. Let us fall in love with your, with your word again. Let's be passionate for your word again, Lord. Lord, those who are needing divine intervention where they're at, Lord, I thank you that you're walking with them. Let you give them wisdom, even as they stand here right now, that you give them wisdom and breakthrough. Lord, that you begin to break through the areas of bondage and strongholds. Lord, you begin to break through areas of resistance. Lord, where they've strived and tried, Lord, I thank you that in just one moment, one moment, one moment of breakthrough can change everything. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. We worship you, Lord. Can we give Jesus praise this morning? Come on, give Jesus praise.